Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast for Zionstone United Church of Christ in Northampton, Pennsylvania. My name is Pastor Mike Landsman, and this podcast is taken from my weekly Sunday sermons. I pray that they'll be a blessing to you, and if you're ever in the area, please stop in and worship with us. We'd love to have you. Thank you for the reading. Good morning, everybody. Wow, that was really lackluster, but I'll let it go. (laughs) Today's selection of texts from the lectionary are particularly powerful. You have the story of the Ethiopian eunuch becoming a Christian. You have the imagery of the vine and the branches and about abiding in God and God abiding in us. And then we have the reminder in 1 John that God is love. Uh, when preparing and reading and studying for, for today, a portion of St. John's epistle stood out, and it's there I would like to focus our attention. And I would just like to, I actually would like to just to reread it. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so we may live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us. His love is perfected in us. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and we have come to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment. Whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother and sister. Women are not excluded here, obviously. So we begin this reading with, obviously, the call to love one another. Whoever loves is born of God and knows God. And commentators note that this implies that our love doesn't just come from ourselves, but actually shows our parentage, right? It shows that we, uh, we, whose we are and who we belong to. Another commentator named Black, he said that God's love for us is the source of our power to love God and then to love one another. And pretty much every study aid that I used, every commentary I used, made this point over and over again, so much so that every time I saw my eyes glazed over, but they kept on it, they all emphasized one particular thing, that the text here of Scripture does not say that God, or it, doesn't, it says God is love, it does not say that love is God. It, they also noted that love is not sentimentality, right? Love here is not strong feelings of attraction, right? When it talks about the love of God being manifested in us and anyone who loves is born of God and knows God, John is not talking about the feeling I had when I first, the first time I saw my wife, 
before I even met her. The first time I was at my in-law's house and I saw her walking in the side entrance and I was like, oh, who is that? Right? That strong attraction that blossomed into, into love. It's not butterflies in the stomach, right? You know, those of you who are married, when you first met your spouse, you were nervous when you went to talk to them. Maybe you were. I don't know. I was. Because quite honestly, my wife is out of my league. But, uh, but the butterflies, right? We all get them when we, when we meet that special person. But then, again, it, this isn't necessarily the type of love that's in mind here. Not sentimental attractional feelings, but love as a life, love as a gift from God. And there's a command here to believe and a command to love. And I think it's 1 Corinthians chapter 13, St. Paul says, love believes all things, right? So belief itself, belief in our faith is itself a gift of the love of God. And St. John says here that love is demonstrated. He gives us something concrete. He says, love is demonstrated in this, that God sent his son into the world to be the savior of the world. And then he says, and it read, the reading was from the NIV, and I read from a different translation when I reread it. From the reading this morning, it said that he was sent into the world to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And the translation I read out of when I reread it is the word propitiation. So before we go any further in the passage, we're going to stop and we're going to do some Bible nerd stuff. We're going to nerd out a little bit and take a few moments to talk about what this means, atoning sacrifice, propitiation specifically. So the word that's translated here as propitiation or atoning sacrifice is the word in Greek, helasmon. It only appears in this form twice in the entire New Testament. Once in John 4, 1 John chapter 4, and once in 1 John chapter 2. The reason why I'm stopping on this a little bit because the way that this word gets translated and the theology that, kind of, that comes from it. So when you break it down, right, when you go and you study, the word propitiation is essentially, in the ancient world, it was an act of appeasement to turn away an anger, the, the anger or the wrath of a deity that was mad at you. You would do something so that the, the divine person, the, divine, the God, whoever it is that you worshipped, if you thought you had offended them, you wanted to turn away their anger, so you would offer a sacrifice, and that anger would then be redirected somewhere else, or that anger would be, would be gone. So it has references of humans, human beings, placating angry deities. So when we translate the New Testament, right, this idea of assuaging or placating divine anger gets incorporated into the New Testament. But I would ask you, brothers and sisters, in the text that we just read, what is the word that we keep hearing over and over and over and over and over and over and over again? Love, agape. He starts off this section with beloved, agape toy. Beloved. Love, 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 love. 
What is missing from this text, brothers and sisters? Wrath, anger, wrath, anger. So I believe that, well, there's no mention of wrath at all in this text. So to me, it seems out of place for St. John to insert appeasement here in a text that might be speaking more of something different. So then, brothers and sisters, when we break down this word propitiation, we say, okay, well, then what does he mean if we're not talking about turning aside wrath? I'm going to give you another word. It could also be, this word could be translated as expiation, okay? And that means removal. Stick with me, okay? I know, this feels like we're in grammar school, but stick with me, okay? Removal. So scripture tells us that we cannot reconcile ourselves to God, right? So God himself takes on human, human form, becomes human, and suffers for sinners to reconcile them to himself. So we have propitiation as appeasement or expiation as removal. So appeasement of wrath versus removal of sin. Turning aside of wrath versus removal of sin. But this word helasmon can also mean to expiate, which we said, which also means to reconcile, to conciliate, to restore. And the reason why I'm, I'm, I'm talking about this, brothers and sisters, is because generally in Christian theology, this notion of Jesus, that God is very angry, right? And that God has to be angry at somebody for all of the sin, right? So God has to be angry. He has to take it out on somebody. He says, Jesus, uh, and he takes it all out. He takes and pours out all of his anger, all of his wrath on Jesus. Jesus takes that wrath and he, he deflects it basically away from us, right? But brothers, and I think that that may be incorporating something into the New Testament that's a bit foreign to the New Testament because in the Old Testament, when we talk about the sacrifices, have you ever read Leviticus and Deuteronomy? Like by chapter one, at the end of chapter one, your eyes are already glazed over and you're like, what is going on with all of this stuff? I have to kill this animal this way and chop it up that way and this gets poured there and that gets sprinkled there and you can't do this here, you can't do that there. And the third day of the fourth week of the cycle of the moon, you can maybe uh, do this. Like, and you're like, what is all of this stuff? But all of the sacrifices in the Old Testament when we read scripture weren't necessarily about turning aside God's anger. The, the sacrifices were about something else. And when you read, the, and I could be wrong, but I don't think I am. In the Old Testament, the only time that, that, that sacrifices are linked with turning away anger wasn't animal sacrifices. It was the sacrifice of incense before the Lord. So if this word propitiation or atoning sacrifice isn't really tied in necessarily with wrath, and I'm not saying that God does not have wrath, because scripture is very clear that God does have wrath, that sin is something that grieves God. But we're waiting in a time where that wrath is going to be poured out, which is the judgment, which is what we're going to be talking about in a second. So it's important here, I think, that when we talk about propitiation and wrath and anger, that in this text in particular, I don't think that that's what it means about turning aside wrath as it is a removal of sin. 
The Old Testament sacrifices are pictures of what Jesus will do, that removal of sin, that we have been reconciled to God, that we have been made right in his sight. That conciliation has happened. So moving on from that then, brothers and sisters, we know that if we love one another, God abides in us. And we also know that God abides in us because he has given us the spirit. And it says here, we also know that God abides in us and his love abides in us by our confession of Jesus as Lord. And then it says, God is love. Then it says something very interesting. It says, there is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. And this is where we're going to spend the rest of our time today with this. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. But the Bible also says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, does it not? In the Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But the scriptures just told us that love casts out all fear. So if the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but the love of God is something that perfects us, that casts out all fear, then brothers and sisters, which is it? And you can't say, well, that's just Old Testament. That doesn't count for us anymore because all we are worried about is a New Testament. No, 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 no. That's not true at all. That's not true at all. The Old Testament is just, is, is just as much Scripture for us as the New Testament is Scripture. So then how do we have these two things in tension? God's perfect love casting out all fear along with this admonition of the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. How do we solve this particular conundrum? I was reading up on this this week, and St. Augustine him, he was, was talking about this, and he likened it to somebody playing the flute. And he said, somebody playing the flute is playing this note over here, and then somebody is playing the flute on this note over here. But there are two notes that are melodious, that are blending together. So if the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but perfect love casts out all fear, how then are we going to decide which one we're going to focus on? Which one is right? So I'll just say, yes. <laughs> yes. It's funny, the other day, uh, uh, when I was online, I, I, some of you who follow me on Facebook, you may have seen this, but I, I wrote propitiation versus expiation, fight. And a friend of mine who's a priest, he, uh, which one is right? And he just goes, yes. And that made me laugh. So when we talk about perfect love, and, and, and perfect love casting out fear, but the fear of the Lord being the beginning of wisdom, we see that the fear that's in view here in John is something else, not necessarily talking about the fear of the Lord. He's talking here in 1 John about fear of the judgment, fear of punishment. St. Augustine, commenting on this section, helpfully says, For if thou as yet fearest God because of punishments, not yet dost thou love him whom thou in such sort fearest. Thou dost not desire the good things, but art afraid of the evil things. Yet because thou art afraid of the evil things, thou correctest thyself and begins to desire the good things. So Augustine here, he says, if you fear God because of punishment, you do not love him. But he then says, if you are afraid of the evil things and you correct yourself, you begin to desire the good things, then you move from that fear of punishment, that fear of judgment into love, into relationship with God. So the fear here in 1 John, specifically, I believe, and I think this is the testimony of Scripture, that fear 
The, per- the perfect love that's casting out fear is specifically the fear of punishment, the fear of judgment, that when it's our time, when all of the books are opened and we all have to answer for the horrible things that we've done, that those of us who are in Christ, we do not have to fear because Christ has removed our sins. He was our propitiation, or rather I should say he was our expiation. Our sins have been removed. We have been reconciled to God. And because we have been reconciled to God, that gives us confidence to stand before God in the day of judgment, unafraid because of the love he has placed in our hearts that the Spirit bears witness that we have. So confession of Jesus, like we saw in this text, means that God abides in us and that we abide in God. And we had the beautiful imagery of the, 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 the vine and the branches in the gospel reading today. No fear of judgment, for Jesus has removed our sins. So the fear here of the Lord versus this fear of judgment, that's why I think that both are still important, why both still work together. The fear of the Lord and the love of God. The fear that's being cast out is of judgment, but the fear of the Lord is something else. The fear of the Lord, the proverb says, is the beginning of wisdom. The sphere of the Lord is this reverential desire to do what pleases God. And this reverential fear to desire, this, this reverential desire to do what pleases God is, comes from love. It comes from our relationship with God, not from a fear of displeasing God. And so the fear of the Lord here works together with being perfected in love. There's a monastic named Archimandrite Zacharias who said, Man... And women can only love in accordance with the measure of his fear of God. So he says that our fear of God, we can only love God in accordance with the measure of how much we reverentially desire to do what pleases him. So let me ask you then, what other fears does the love of God free us from? And so I would say, brothers and sisters, taking from the Acts reading today, right? We had the story of the Ethiopian eunuch. God told Philip, or he, he brought him to the desert. And then there's a chariot. And there's a man on a chariot reading aloud. Because that's how you read in the ancient world, by the way. You didn't read silently to yourself, but you would read out loud. And so Philip hears this, and this man is reading from the book of Isaiah, the scroll of Isaiah, excuse me. And Philip's walking behind, beside the chariot. It's like, hey, what are you reading? And he's like, I'm reading Isaiah, but I don't understand what's going on unless someone explains it to me. And he reads Philip the portion of scripture. And Philip goes, oh yeah, I've got you. Mind if I get on your chariot and explain this to you? And he's like, please. So Philip gets on the chariot and he preaches Jesus to him. Fear, I think one of the fears that God frees us from through his love, of the other, of the stranger. Eunuchs notably were not allowed to fully participate in the temple worship. They could only go into a certain area and they were barred from large portions of the worship because of their disfigurement of the body. So what you have here is God sends Philip to somebody who's essentially kind of an outcast in the very religion that he's a part of to bring him in. The stranger. Spirit, the spirit led Philip to the stranger. And the fear of the Lord frees us, or it should free us, 
from that fear that we have of reaching out to people who are different from us, of reaching out to people whom we may not like, reaching out to people who make us uncomfortable, the fear of even sharing our faith with a friend or a family member. And I'm not talking about getting, I'm not talking about getting a, a, a soapbox and standing on it with a bullhorn. I remember when I lived in Florida, there was a street preacher who, who well, there was a bunch of them, but he would, he would stand there with his bullhorn and he, he'd preach. And I was with a group of friends, and I remember they said, Landsman, you're into God stuff, you're a Christian, right? I'm like, yeah. And they're like, well, why don't you go talk to that guy and, and tell him to stop? And I'm like, no. I'm like, I'm not, that's not my thing. But I mean, he, he believes in what he's doing and he's trying to do something. It's, I'm not comfortable with that, but he wouldn't even listen to me anyway, even if I, even if I were. I'm not saying that's what you have to do. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is the fear of the Lord, the love of God. We are freed from the fear of welcoming the stranger, of welcoming people who are outcasts, of welcoming people who have been marginalized. And so I would ask you, brothers and sisters, think about this this afternoon and take this with you when you leave. Who is the Lord leading you to talk to? Figuratively speaking, who in your life, in your work, in your environment, anywhere, who around you is reading from the scroll of Isaiah? I'm using this as imagery, right? Because people aren't carrying around scrolls anymore. But they're spiritually searching. They're spiritually seeking. Who do you know in your life that's seeking? That you can say, actually, and, and not in you know, one of those nerdy ways. Well, actually, this, anyway. You know what I mean, right? I might be able to help you with that. Think about that this week. Ask the Spirit, Lord, who are you leading me to? Who are you asking me to go speak to? And then trust that as you do that, that that fear that you may have may go away. That that fear that you would have would be released. And so, brothers and sisters, this reading here in John ends with a warning that if we hate our brother or sister and we claim to love God, we are liars. Doesn't say... That's pretty harsh language, right? If you say you love God and you hate your brother or sister, you are a liar. This is hard because sometimes it's easier to hate our brothers and sisters. And it's not, I don't even think in the context he's talking about family. I think he's talking about the church family. And it's easy for, over the years for, for anger and bitterness to rise up in our hearts particularly towards people who have offended us, particularly towards people who may be sitting across from us, and that anger can build and build and build and build and build. But brothers and sisters, it should not be so. We cannot hate one another. We have to love one another. Why? Because Jesus was the atoning sacrifice for our sins by being an offering and giving himself up. So if Jesus gives himself up to be the savior of the entire world, gives himself up to death, then we can learn to love the person who took our parking space. We can learn to love the person who took our favorite chair and our favorite pew. We can learn to love the person who said something mean to us 20 years ago. We can learn to love and let go of things that happened to us in the past from people who hurt us.
that, that God's love, and it's not something that we do on our own, right? God's love is given to us as a gift so that we can then take that love that we've been given of Jesus coming into the world, that level of self-giving, and then we then can turn and follow as his people because that's what identifies us, brothers and sisters, ultimately as Christians. Not, not so much as me saying, I love Jesus, but it's not... <laughs> Isaac saying amen there. Not so much, I love Jesus, but it's both, right? It's, I love Jesus. Now let me show you how that love that I have for Jesus lives itself out, plays itself out in how I live, how I interact with you, how I interact with, with each other. And cl- in closing, uh, our commander, Zacharias, he also wrote this. I really loved this. He said, we can see, therefore, that divine fear, the fear of the Lord, awakens the heart of men and women, that it builds it up, it builds up our hearts and perfects it with divine love so that it may receive the invaluable wealth of the knowledge and the wisdom of God. So that reverential desire to please God awakens within us and perfects in us that divine love that is a gift to us so that we can receive the wisdom of God, the knowledge of God, the love of God, and we can then turn and offer that knowledge, that wisdom, and that love to those around us. And so to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who was the atoning sacrifice for our sins and the sins of the whole world, be all glory together with his Father from who is from everlasting and his all-holy good and life-giving spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. You know, our church has deep roots here in the community, and we predate the founding of the United States itself. If you're looking for a church that is biblically faithful and traditionally grounded, come visit us. We may just be the church for you. You can find us online, zionsstoneucc.com. You can find us on Facebook as well, zionsstoneucc. I'm Pastor Mike Landsman. If you'd like to send me an email, you can reach me at malandsman at gmail.com. Once again, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. May God bless you, and we hope to have you visit us.